Hello, this is producer and technical director Jack Rossiter-Munley with a special note. The music you'll hear on today's podcast was provided by Chicago-based harpist Yami. She's been a harpist for 14 years, but she began focusing on writing original music two years ago. Her first release, 33 Strings, came out in January of this year. She describes that work as about as honest of a debut as I could get. I wanted it to be my voice, my experiences, my harp, and nothing more. Her next albums will feature more experimental music, pushing the boundaries of what a harp can be. The piece you will hear throughout today's podcast is called Prologue, and it is from her debut, 33 Strings. Stay tuned at the end of the podcast to hear the piece in its entirety. If you want to hear more of her work, check her out on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash lilyami. That's soundcloud.com slash L-I-L dash Y-O-M-I. Enjoy. Our feature today is Laurie DeRosier, a much-published Pushcart Prize nominee who edits the Naugatuck River Review, a journal of narrative poetry. She teaches at several institutions of higher learning, including in the Interdisciplinary Studies Program for Leslie University's MFA. And she has a brand new book from Salmon Poetry called Sometimes I Hear the Clock Speak. And we're going to talk about that book and hear some poems. So welcome to a Poetry Spoken Here. Thank you, Charlie. I'm very happy to be here. All right. And uh, let me ask you something, which I don't know, this is a question wouldn't have occurred to me last week, but... I heard the poet laureate give a reading, and he talked about putting books together, how, how people do it in different ways. And so I'm just curious with uh, how I hear the clock speak, how did you make, make the book what it is? I think I was kind of purposeful about it when I was writing. I had this idea to uh, write about music, and uh, I like to write a lot of uh, ekphrasis or uh, poetry about art and music. And uh, so I, I thought it would be interesting to write uh, a series of poems that somehow uh, interacted with, with music or the experience of music. So most of the poems in that book speak to one another because they're about a lot of the same kind of things. And then somehow it also ended up being about time and about memory, because all of those things inter interrelate to me, and uh, so that's that's what the book, all those poems ended up, up looking like. <laughs> okay, so you you uh, were kind of purposeful before the book was finished. You didn't just find poems and slap them together. He was saying that it was reminding me, I guess, and everyone that used to be the norm that people would just gather up whatever they had, you know, if they had enough to make a book and that was the book. But nowadays doing what, what you did is, uh, is much more common and, and people like a thematic idea, I think, or we're getting used to it. For me, it's kind of like being driven to write to something, maybe an overarching theme of some sort. The first book I wrote was when I was with in the MFA program at uh, New England College in uh, 
which I graduated from in 2008. And when I was writing, one day my grandmother sprung up out of my poem that I was writing, it felt like, and she said, write about me. And so I wrote a series of poems because I had to, because I felt like I was, it was an imperative that about my grandmother, my mother, and myself. And it was a little chapbook called Three Vanities. <laughs> and because uh, my family had a, a great deal of character, I have to say. And then this first uh, full-length book that I wrote, The Philosopher's Daughter, was sort of a departure from that. There were some memory poems, some family poems still. I was writing about my father's death, who was a professor of philosophy who died of brain cancer. And I had, um, there were a few pieces in there that were about music that I took a little, you know, an epigraph from a, some words from a mm. song and ended up, and I, and that poem wrote, one of those poems won a prize. And I was so excited about it. And it seemed to me that that was a calling. And I had, and I, when I got The Philosopher's Daughter published, which was my first book, full length book, from was was also with salmon um they uh, uh i i started to write you know all these poems uh, that you know that were sort of from that theme and I, I so that was that was propelling me along for quite a long time i mean two or three years of writing to to come up with this book so it's it's been it's been a lot of fun why don't we hear uh, one of these poems to get started here well, I'm going to read you an ekphrastic poem, which is, it, this one's about a sculpture, but some of this is sort of the same feel that you get. Um, it's called The Balanced Stone, mm -hmm. and it's after a sculpture of the same name by Asamo Noguchi. There used to be another stone. The ghost stone is not there above the stone that is. The stone that is is on the roof of the building where air passes through windows that are not there. Like the quartz gathered in the woods near the house a child used to live in, who used to be me. The ghost of the child is balanced on the roof of what I have forgotten. How did you, uh, how did you come to that? you start with that imagining I, what's not there yeah it's it's the the sculpture itself kind of was my was my uh prompt you know i have this prompt and i was looking at it and it's this, just these like feet stone feet and then there's a roof there's a literally a roof it looks you know it looks like a little roof on top and there I read about this sculpture, and there was this, there's a piece of quartz on top of the roof, and the, the the placard that came with the sculpture said that there used to be another stone on top of the, that piece of quartz, but that the artist had taken it away. And I started to think of how this ghost of this stone is still is like there that there was there was something, and then there was not something, but yet it used to be there. <laughs> In fact, right now, I have to admit, I'm working on a series of poems about things that aren't there. That's going to be in another three years. You'll have to wait for that book. <laughs> right. This was with what you're saying about, about being interested in memory and how, yeah. well, the experience really was there, but now it's not there. Something like that. 
Exactly. This idea of, of the shadows of the things that we were. Um, uh, my mother is aging. She's 92. And I'm uh, starting to see gaps, you know, in her memory that are reminding me of that. So I'm also writing about mm -hmm. that sort of not there. You know, I'm writing about ghosts and things that are, are, are lost and people that are lost. And I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I'm having fun. But that's the next project. Obviously, we're always more interested in the project we're working on than the one we just finished, but that's okay. How about one of the music poems? Oh, I would love that. That would be great. Okay, I'll read you my violin. My violin has been tucked in the closet for years. Black case, green plush interior, bridge broken, strings gone, hairless bow on a hook. Long gone are days of before school orchestra, after school lessons, brown mark under my chin. Took up guitar, forgot the violin. You can't sing with a violin and no talent, so I thought. Years later, a friend's violin sitting out, Scheherazade on the music stand, asked if I could try. It was one we played. So shocked, I almost dropped the instrument. She explained it was the violin. If only I had known all those years in high school when I sounded worse than everyone else, no matter how hard I practiced. It was my student violin that lacked resonance, not I. That's a hell of a story. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. What a realization, huh? It took me, you know, 30 years to figure that out. You need those role models. Yeah. Uh, yeah in your head, in your head, you need those. And don't be afraid to stand up in front of people and read your poems. You know, it's it's a lot of fun, and you'll it'll build your confidence. Poetry audiences, I have tried all sorts of things standing in front. I love being, you know, I'm a bit of a ham. I like standing in front of people doing things. I've tried singing and playing guitar. I've tried theater. I've done stand-up comedy a little bit. <laughs> and honestly, poetry audiences are the absolute best. They're very appreciative and they're kind. And I'll never do stand up again. <laughs> they are not necessarily appreciative and kind, yeah. but but with poetry, yeah. If you're going to go to a poetry reading, you, you've got a certain attitude underlying your approach to life. I think, uh, especially if you're going to an open mic, you've got to be an accepting person. Yeah. If you're going to go to an open mic and expect to have an, an enjoyable time, and just nice appreciate experience. expression that people give you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, what, what would you like to read next? Um, I think I have up, let's see. Oops, where to go? All right. All right. I have up a poem that I think you'll enjoy, Charlie. It's called Guitars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I believe in strum and riff, in the medley of pluck and thrum, in strings pulled taut to tune, finessed with finger picks or tickled with steel for a slide, in the dring of a chord, the vibration of hammer-on. I believe in a good fake book. At the midnight jam, I'll bring my axe, you bring yours. We'll play St. James Infirmary and Uncle John's band until the sun comes up over the Hudson or the Ohio.
Yeah, there are a lot of fun little little references in there. Good old I'm, a, I'm a folk person. You know, I grew up in the Hudson Valley. I don't know if you knew that. No. Uh-uh. I, uh, I, well, I, I was born in Manhattan and grew up in Hastings on Hudson. And we used to go up to Terrytown to the Hudson River Sloop concerts and watch Pete Seeger and uh, Arlo Guthrie when I remember when he was like 17 playing guitar. Yeah. And um, yeah, so to me, that's sort of a, it's part of my roots and who I am. There, there's still a, a great fest, a great folk thing weekend that happens in, I think it's in Voorheesville at the at the fairgrounds. Oh yeah. I forget what it's oh, called. Right, old old, old songs festival. Yeah. Oh, I knew really, that. How about yeah. that? <laughs> a fun event, you know. I like those places where you just amble in for a while, wander over to another tent. It's just such a pleasant way to spend a day, you know. Yeah, this has lots of little references to St. James Infirmary, the Ohio, of course, out of the song and. I love St. James Infirmary. By the way, where do you live now? I know you're in, I call it Western Mass, but you're not really yes. West. I live in Westfield, Mass. Oh, okay. It's not oh. too far from Northampton. It's about oh, okay. Minutes, okay. I get it. Yeah. And you do a wonderful thing. You do this um, newsletter, the Poetry <laughs> News. Which yeah. I, I just love it when people do that sort of thing, though. It's just a charitable thing that you do. You put out this monthly calendar of, of events in your area. That's that's just great. Yeah, it started out as like, you know, an email to everybody. You know, every week I used to email and say, this is what's going on, folks. And I knew poets in Connecticut. I thought the poets in Connecticut might be interested in what the poets in Massachusetts were doing. <laughs> but it turned out that mostly it was just the poets in Massachusetts. <laughs> but well, uh, I used to do it every week. You know, I did it every week for about 12 years. And then I said, wait a minute, if I do it monthly, I can, I'll work less hard on this thing. I just changed to monthly this year. It's been great. (laughs) Well, it's a great service. And though most people don't travel for the events, some people do. And that's just kind of neat because you do bring in some, some folks from elsewhere to, yeah. So people can just go there. It's poetrynews.wordpress.com. And it's nice to see, you know, things. And I have links to other poetry and other places there. I have some links to, I know I have links to Albany Poets, which was your hometown over there. And uh, a lot of other, Boston poetry, different things. Great. Well, what about, uh, now you, you teach an interdisciplinary program. Does that make you do anything differently? I'm noticing this poem about the bar where the physicists drink it. <laughs> that may be no, I, that was a that was not about teaching. That was actually because yeah. I went to I was in Cape Cod and I went to the British Beer Company one day and I met three physicists in the same night who didn't know each other. It was just funny and oh. and um I, I like physics. Uh, I, I, my math is terrible, so I've never been able to, to really sit down and do it. But my, I have a cousin who's a physics, physics uh, professor and some friends who are physicists. So I, I wrote the poem after going to a web, you know, one of these physics for dummies websites to double check everything. And then I sent it to my friends and to my cousin to make sure I was right. And they, they proofread it, the physics part for me, not the poetry right. part. And uh, would you like me to read that? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking it was some kind of 
some kind of conference, you know, and the, you know how it is in the, in the hotel bar. <laughs> That's how you get a lot yeah, of people. It does sound kind of like you could do that. From All the right, same, you get people from the same discipline that way, you know. <laughs> anyway, that's a great background, though. Okay, hold on. Okay. I mentioned physics a few times in my poem. This is only going to be funny if you know a little bit about physics, but I love it when I have a group, uh, uh, an audience, and, and I find some physics majors in there, and they're always falling on the floor by the end of the poem, and everybody else is looking at them. <laughs> Do you want to tell us about a couple of things ahead of time, or maybe elucidate um, afterward? What would be better? I don't think so because okay, I run. can't. I honestly can't explain these past what's in the poem. Okay. So that's no, that. Nobody ever said you're supposed to understand everything in a poem. No. You so, don't hear every okay. note in a symphony, you know. So. So for all the for all you physicists out there in 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 um, internet world, here we go. The bar where the physicists drink is a simple old place that serves Guinness. They sip in sync with the universe, calculate the time it takes for heads to dissolve into golden lager, observe the centrifugal force of barstool turns, the trigonometry of dart throws, comment on the waitress, whether she exists in time and space while she is on break, the centripetal force of her inner body leaning against the outside wall, inhaling molecules of smoke, debating if her curvature is equal to her curves. They don't order martinis, but if they did, they might contemplate Pascal's second law of hydrostatics, how an olive affects a change of pressure in a homogeneous incompressible fluid. They drink their beers, join the flow of charge as the current of money quickly ebbs. When the conjugate quantity of beer consumed is equivalent to the linear movement of time wasted, they declare this system closed and depart, leaving a sense <laughs> of relative uncertainty at every table. I never thought about there being a difference between curvature and curve. Ah, it's a big difference. What, what, what's curvature? To measure yeah. my curves, you need to understand curvature. <laughs> If you're a, if you know calculus, you have to measure curvatures of motion. Oh, okay. Well, I learned something and I'll have to go to Wikipedia to learn some more. But we can go back to more like familiar territory, like the anniversary poem. We don't need special knowledge for this one, I don't no. think. <laughs> this is a poem for uh, my husband, Gary. Anniversary. 15 years ago, we stood before sunflowers pushing their seedy faces up the shed's outer wall, our feet immersed in dandelion clover, pledged from this day forward to plant bulbs in spring, tulips, daylilies, and irises, push marigold and daisy seeds into black summer soil, build towers for tomatoes, grids for zucchini, cucumber, peas, vowed to sit in Adirondack chairs, watch cedar wax wings devour the juniper berries, to hang thistle for goldfinch, suet for woodpeckers from blue spruce branches. Today, we take the bulbs from their dark winter storage beneath the spades and rakes, gently place them beneath the ground, 
another year as promised. There's a nice toned poem about a long-term relationship, it seems to me. You know, that's what really comes through to me, the tone of it. I'm not much of a gardener. He's the gardener. Oh. Isn't that oh. interesting? You get off easy. <laughs> You seem to be an enthusiastic. Uh, oh, it's beautiful. Appreciator, appreciator. Yeah, I am the cool. appreciator of the beauty of the garden. Yeah. That sounds good. I always say there's not much point in going around and grabbing the ring on the merry-go-round unless you have somebody watching you do it. And that, uh, and that, hey, look, mom, I got the ring. Yeah. You need an audience. You know. You know, you 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 uh, when you read your poems, it's exceptionally clear. Do you talk to your students about that at all? About, about, do they read? About you make, reading. Get up and read? Yeah. Yeah. Most of them do read out. I mean, by the time mm -hmm. you get to grad school, you, you usually That's come true. from there. Yeah. But um, I do, you know, I do also interact with a lot of younger poets. And, uh, you know, I go to open mics and I read at open mics and I read, yeah. uh, I feature a lot of at open mics. And mm -hmm. I came from it. I used to uh, host an open mic for seven years. I was the co-host of an open mic here in Westfield. And we had a lot of really young poets coming through, teenagers uh, for, to adult and um, young adults, <laughs> um, young old people, haha, <laughs> like you and me. Uh, but um, I think I think learning to slow down is something a lot of the younger folks have a problem with. They'll they get nervous, so they get up to the mic and they rush through the poem. <laughs> and I learned that if you read carefully that people can hear it you want them to know what you're saying i mean i don't go too slowly we can wrap it up with the title poem how did that how did that get to be the title poem oh i had a whole bunch of po of titles before i hit that one and i ran them by my publisher and she liked this one better that's how that works <laughs> okay well it's it's get your attention and you wonder what in the world is that about well, one of them was the uh, uh, time signature, which I thought was nice, but she said was too uh, cliched, which I agree, I think it was. And uh, I don't even remember what the first the first uh, title was, but uh, this one works. Okay. So let me read, sometimes I hear the clock speak. A knock and sequence, hands, unsuccessful, reach for numbers. Twelve hovers atop a round white mountain. Long sweeping curve of shrug, a gesture in one direction. The hiccup of a second, the thousand spins of a life. And is this a particular clock in your life or did this just come to you with thinking of clocks? Yeah, I was just thinking about time going by and how clocks it's it's fun it's I like this idea of the white space in a clock and the white space in a poem does that make sense that they're both they both use their white space for something that that's the like the the this idea of the shrug of the clock it keeps going and it's almost like it's like it's it's like a poem in a way because it 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 touches on different things. It's very it's very sparse. A, a, a clock is very sparse the way it's 
say like it seems haiku like to me a clock it's like a Japanese form or something and it hits the numbers and they all mean different things if your time that hits a number it doesn't mean one it means I'm fast asleep or it means it's time for lunch or you know what I mean there's all these different maybe I'll write another clock poem with that in it <laughs> that's great yeah the clock is a haiku that is a very cool idea yeah and in a way as you were reading this I was thinking in a way this is like an ekphrastic poem if it were a work of art the clock you look at it you kind of describe it and then of course your mind riffs off of what you're looking at and describing and you get other ideas and things and you There's end up a, with an ekphrastic poem you know? absolutely so yeah. and it is because the clocks are there are so many beautiful clocks and that's true they are works of art absolutely I love clocks. <laughs> All right. Well, Laurie, thanks a lot for being here on Poetry Spoken Here. It's it's been really good to hear your poems and talk about your new book. And uh, just thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me, Charlie. Listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm joined now by Sarah Browning. She's co founder and executive director of a wonderful organization in Washington, D.C., known as Split This Rock. In addition to their many programs, they do a biannual poetry festival. The organization, in its mission statement, says that it cultivates, teaches, and celebrates poetry that bears witness to injustice and provokes social change. So Sarah, I'm really glad you can be here to tell us more about Split This Rock. Thank you, I'm thrilled to be here. Why, why don't we just start out with you saying a little more about what the organization's about and, and maybe where it came from. Did it start with a festival or did the organization happen? Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you for reading the, the, the short version of the mission statement. We believe that poetry has work to do in the world both for us as individuals to open our hearts and also to build community among us. And in America, this is so essential right now as we're being driven apart by fear-mongering and hate-mongering in the public sphere. And poetry can remind us what is what we have in common and help us learn about our differences and really build bridges amongst our common humanity. It's just essential today. And Split This Rock was born out of this desire to have a home for poets who write this kind of work that uh, breaches our differences, that uh, struggles with the world, that names injustice, but also a forum for them to speak out. And so, yes, we started actually with the festival. The very first festival was in March of 2008, and it was time to coincide with the fifth anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. Split This Rock grew out of, emerged from Poets Against the War organizing that a group of us were doing here in DC. And we felt compelled being in the Capitol to expand the work beyond the issue of the war, because of course it's connected to all sorts of other social issues, but also uh, beyond our own um, borders here to, to welcome others from around the country to come to the Capitol to speak out and to meet one another people doing amazing work all over the country. And we've grown since then. The festival is every other year, as you mentioned. So this will be our fifth. It's going to be an amazing gathering. The dates oh, are April 14th to the 17th this year. 
Okay. And on the 13th, the night before, I read that you have a very special event at the Library of Congress. That's right. Juan Felipe Herrera, who is our nation's poet laureate and has been just an extraordinary poet laureate, bringing people to poetry who never thought of themselves as poetry lovers, who didn't know that they loved poetry until they were introduced to the incredible vibrancy that is American poetry today by Juan Felipe. And he will be kicking off Split This Rock Poetry Festival with a special program at the Library of Congress on Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And it's free and open to the public. Everyone's invited. It's a great way to launch four days of this kind of poetry that is democratic, that is small d democratic, that is welcoming, um, that builds community. And if anyone listening is going to go, you want to go early because I just saw him in Milwaukee and it was an overflow crowd. The yes. Library of Congress is a great place to see a poetry reading. It's a great auditorium. Yeah. Now I was looking at the program and noticing, uh, I don't know, don't want to get too specific here because people can go look at it at, at uh, splitthisrock.org, but the poetry of caregiving, new black femininity, a poetic panel that's in response to Hakim Adabudi asking, who owns the earth? I love that because I think yeah. Mata is so good, you know? Yeah. yeah, the the lineup, I mean, the diversity of conversations and themed group readings this year just astonishes me. I mean, we received more than double the proposals that we could accept. And even we probably took too many because we're, we were so enthusiastic about uh, the breadth of conversations. There's a farm worker reading. There's um, queer poets who live in the border regions of Texas and Mexico, Latino. Uh, there are um, there are several panels actually about black women. After so many years of attention to the plight of black men in this country, uh, the black women's stepped up and said it's time to talk about our experiences too and so that is really um at the forefront of this festival there's also a number of eco justice panels that is including the one you mentioned um mm -hmm. that is poetry that addresses the intersection of the environment and other social issues environmental racism um the ways that poor communities are especially uh destroyed through the pursuit of profit so those are exciting panels to me as yeah. well. And, and structurally, I'm, I'm noticing uh, as, as sometimes festivals or conferences work, at any one time, there are multiple things to choose from and people will curse the fact they can't be two places at once. But Right. We always get those complaints. <laughs> but the, we have featured readings or main stage readings. So there are five of them over the course of the four days. And of course, nothing else is scheduled at that time. And the great poets that we have... Um, featuring this year include um, Ross Gay, who just won the Kingsley Tufts Award, uh, Dwayne, Reginald Dwayne Betts, who's a DC native who was uh, incarcerated for many years and uh, has a stunning new book, Bastards of the Reagan Era, Linda Hogan, the native poet, um, Aracelis Girmay, Jan Beatty, uh, the spoken word poet, well, she's mostly known as spoken word poet, Dominic Christina. So it's a really diverse lineup. Yeah. And I wanted to mention, so we want to be sure people know about the festival. And also, um, you have a mailing list that so you can, people can receive a poem of the week. Are there That's any other right. things like that people should know about just from the organization? 
Yes, thank you. Um, so every Friday morning, we publish a poem, a contemporary poem on a social issue. Uh, it can be broadly interpreted. It might not be a kind of direct comment on that issue. They're mostly American poets, but some international, some bilingual, some video, some um, in text. And all of these poems have been gathered into an online database called The Quarry. And it's over 350 poems, um, and it is searchable by social issues. So if you're doing an event on the environment or a Black Lives Matter event, and you want to read a poem or bring one to your study group or to your worship service or the meeting of your nonprofit organization, please go to splitthisrock.org, click on Poetry Database, and just uh, dive into, sink into, explore this incredible resource. There's nothing, nothing like it that's, um, that, that's indexed in this way that can help you find poems thematically. Okay, I thought I knew, but I didn't know about that part of it. I knew the poem of the week, but the yes. accumulation and the indexing, that is absolutely fabulous. Well, Thank do you have any, you. any parting words for us uh, as we move along here? Yes. Uh, well, I invite everyone to Washington, D.C. in April. It's a beautiful month. It's the most beautiful month of the year in D.C. And uh, it's a transformative gathering, nothing like it in the country, at the intersection of poetry and social justice. So... If you can get on a bus, carpool, uh, crash on a couch, please, you're welcome and invited to join us here in, in our nation's capital. And thank you so much, Charlie. Okay, we're listening to Sarah Browning, Executive Director of Split This Rock, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. this episode of Poetry Spoken Here. Remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can find us online at poetryspokenhere.com, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere, follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere, and if you have any suggestions for future shows or would like to send us work of your own to potentially be featured on the podcast, you can reach out to us at Poetry spoken here at gmail.com. Special thanks to Yami for the use of her song, Prelude. Thank you.